Good afternoon and happy Friday to you. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are going to continue with reaction and more details about the announcement made earlier today. We heard from the public safety minister with a strong recommendation saying that Surrey should continue with the Surrey Police Service. We've already heard from Mayor Brenda Locke saying absolutely not. She said it was very disrespectful the way this decision was announced and we have much more coming up on the program. I should mention quickly, talking about this with uh, Mike Smith at the end of his show, a bit of a change as far as the schedule. We will be hearing from the RCMP at 1.30. We're going to carry that news conference live on the show here and we are now expecting to get a statement from the Surrey Police Service. So as soon as we have that reaction, we will pass it along as well. We're starting though with Richard Zussman, Global News Journalist at the Legislature, to break it all down for us. Richard, thanks so much for taking some time. Jill, my pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. Uh, was, what, what do you take, is your take on this announcement? Uh, I, I don't call it a decision because it is more of a, an announcement and a recommendation. Uh, but what we know so far about this and uh, the, the response to it. Yeah, so what do we make of this? Uh, the province has created even more chaos here in terms of not making a firm decision. But ultimately, Public Safety Minister Mike Farmer says this is his statutory responsibility, that uh, lay out the conditions and ensure that municipalities can uh, figure out what they need to do to meet those conditions. And there's two factors that come into play here. First is staffing. And there's going to continue to be a disagreement here in terms of whether staffing the RCMP at the levels of the province needs is actually something that's even possible. And a number of the conditions that the public safety minister has laid out here uh, includes ensuring that staff are not poached from other RCMP detachments in British Columbia to ensure that the new officers, more than 270 of them that have been promised, uh, those officers are not impacted to ensure that Surrey has its staffing levels. Those two things alone, based on current enrollment and graduation rates from Depo, the RCMP, is nearly impossible. Uh, but Brenda Law contends that they have commitments from the RCMP that they will get to those staffing letters levels. That aside, Jill, the other issue is money. And if the city of Surrey decides to forge ahead with the RCMP, they are on the hook for the costs associated with that. That includes uh, the money uh, that will have to go for severances, uh, more than $78 million, um, and as well as whatever additional costs they take on. If the city of Surrey decides uh, to go with the Surrey Police Service, then uh, some of those transition costs, the $30 million extra a year cost to operate, uh, at least for a time period, will be covered by the province. And ultimately, it's going to come down to how much pressure uh, the mayor feels on this and whether she feels uh, that passing on those costs to the taxpayer uh, is something uh, that is um, prudent for her political future. Right. And it sounds like she does feel that way and that in her news conference, she said she was disappointed that this was disrespectful, saying that this was being politicized. And she also mentioned that this report, although it's a heavily redacted report, saying it doesn't factor in the funding that would be restored or continued from the RCMP and a couple of other things. So it sounds like uh, even looking at this and she said, look, we can meet those conditions to continue and keep the RCMP. 
I'm surprised they did not get the unredacted report, considering this is such a crucial decision for the community. I also understand that some of the redacted materials are actually materials that Locke provided to the province, so she has that information already. Uh, But there are still questions, as you mentioned. There are still holes that exist here. And another thing that exists is this idea of destabilization. The mayor is insistent that Surrey police is already poaching from other municipal police forces in the region, and that's having an impact. There are mayors who have the RCMP who are hugely worried that if this transition continues, uh, there is going to be disruption there. I'll read to you a quote from Nathan Paul, the mayor of Langley. If Surrey did transition to the RCMP, it would destabilize policing in Metro Vancouver. And that's part of the point that Farnworth is trying to make. Is this is not a Surrey alone issue. This is a regional issue. And the belief based on this 500-page report is that moving towards uh, the Surrey Police Service is less disruptive to overall safety in Metro Vancouver than sticking with the RCMP. Hmm. And you asked this of Mike Farnworth as well, which I thought was interesting because does this not set a precedent? And I know he said it didn't, but how can you offer up millions of dollars to one city that shifts to a police force? And then if another one does that, say, no, not for you. And and Brenda Locke mentioned this in her press conference, right? She said she's already heard from one mayor saying, okay, if the money's on the table for you, how about for me? And I would expect that there would be a number of mayors who would start looking at this idea and saying, okay, if these costs are going to be considered, what does it look like? I think a prudent move for any municipality looking at a transition would be not to follow what Surrey has done here and instead uh, craft together a plan and present that to the public safety minister before going about, you know, promising it to the people and saying, okay, these are our two options. We stick with what we have. We make a move. And because of that, uh, let's understand the conditions associated. So, but it does set a precedent, Jill. It's hard to believe that the province would fund the transition in Syria, not somewhere else, even though, as we've heard so many times, this transition has been so poorly dealt with on all sorts of fronts, is so unique, and is such a challenging decision for the province. It's such a challenging decision for for Mayor Law, considering we've largely been working without a lot of the information we need to make that decision. And finally, that decision, uh, that information is largely available to the public now. Uh, Richard, was there any timeline given with the public safety (laughs) minister effectively kicking this back to Surrey? When when are the people of Surrey, do you think, going to have a final decision on this? So Mike Farnworth will be on Focus BC today. You can catch that online after you listen to Jill's show. Uh, And I asked him four times, Jill, four times, what is the timeline here? And there's no answer. Is it the end of the month, Uh, end of May, end of June, end of the year? Like, what is the timeline here? And there is no timeline. I asked Mayor Locke the same thing. What is the timeline you've been told here? No timeline. And that's um, challenging here for the people of Surrey who continue to be in flux. They likely will have to be footing the bill for two police services because we know the Surrey Police Service is operating in the community now. So is the RCMP. And the decisions have to be made that cost a lot of money in terms of training, staffing, and all of that is hugely problematic. So we're going to have to wait and see because we did not get any additional details after all sorts of questioning around what timelines look like. All right. I look forward to seeing that exchange as well. Richard, as always, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Joe. 
with the recommendation that the City of Surrey continue its transition to the Surrey Police Service. I think we need to be engaging with our residents and that's something that's been lacking right from the get-go. I've been calling for a referendum for quite some time. In fact, I think going back to about 2018. Well, I think we've gone past the point of no return in, in Surrey and it was very clear in the, the minister's uh, statement this morning that he was looking at the wider uh, policing concerns of the province. All right, just some of the voices we've been hearing about the announcement about policing in Surrey. Joining the show now is Jack Hundile, a former Surrey City Councillor, also a former RCMP officer. Jack Hundile, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Joe. I'm curious your reaction to the announcement made earlier today with Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth saying that the decision is going back to Surrey, but a strong recommendation to continue going forward with the Surrey Police Service. Well, I think his position on this from the onset um, has been uh, less than lacking. Uh, when they originally received the original 189 report, uh, four years ago, issues of staffing, HR, costing were all discussed and highlighted by then Councillor Locke and myself. Uh, and now it seems ironic that four years later, he's honing back on that as, as a reason uh, for his recommendation, when in reality, um, that information should have been provided up front um, to him, uh, his office, uh, and not whittled through by uh, Mr. Opal at the time and hastily put, in, uh, put into action here. So uh, ultimately, uh, the goal is Surrey deserves the best police service it can get. Uh, and I think the decision by Councillor, um, sorry, Mayor Locke and those on council to move forward with keeping the RCMP will be the best decision for that. Uh, what about the issue of, of funding as well? And a couple of things that really stick mm -hmm. out in the announcement mm -hmm. today is uh, Mike Farron was saying this is an issue of public safety and that's part of the recommendation to go with the Surrey Police Service and also mm -hmm. now offering up funding to help with the increased costs. Well, it certainly shows a bias where on one hand you'd offer um, financial aid in, in one perspective and not the other for one agency. So I think it is a, certainly a bias statement on, on his part for that. And one of the other critical pieces about the public safety, we talk about vacancies in here. So we know in E-Division, there's about 6,000 RCMP members, roughly. Um, and at any time, um, there's about 1,500. Um, it says he talks about the vacancy. Well, what that 1,500 actually means is those people that are on maternity leave, injuries, or otherwise off work, when the actual vacancy is actually 460 uh, positions. And certainly those challenges will be the same with the SPS, will be with any police force uh, in the province. Uh, one of the recommendations, though, uh, that's in this announcement that uh, saying that if the city of Surrey, if Mayor Locke chooses to continue with the RCMP, there are conditions that must be met. And I know she came out earlier today saying that she'd already had those discussions and they could be met. Mm -hmm. One of them, though, is to make sure to not be taking RCMP officers from other forces and, and to, mm -hmm. to do that. How, how is it possible to fill vacancies or to do that and not potentially take from other forces? Well, I think the answer lies in the fact that SPS has, uh, you know, 300 members, and that was the same discussion that happened, um, um, you know, four years ago. So there are ways to achieve that. Uh, the RCMP does have lateral entry programs, um, and I believe, you know, the vast majority of SPS members will be invited um, to join. Um, you know, the recruiting has changed over four years across all police forces. So I think it's a little high and dry for Mr. Farnworth to be saying that, uh, you know what, uh, we're going to put these extra stringent conditions on the RCMP, but not other forces. 
Um, so I think he really needs to reevaluate that statement. Um, and uh, from what I understand from the RCMP, uh, they will be able to meet those staffing, uh, staffing goals. Do you think that this is serving the the people of Surrey? And I know you come at this from uh, the position of being a former city councillor, but also a former mm-hmm. RCMP officer. I mean, we, I think a lot of people, maybe it was very naive of us to think that there was going to be some clarity on this today, or at least there was going to be a, a, an actual decision made one way or the other, whether you agreed with it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, having this uncertainty still in place, is this serving the people of Surrey? Uh, no, it hasn't, and and this is where I, I put the, the the blame squarely on the on the MLAs in Surrey for not advocating for Surrey residents from the onset. Uh, look, we know that uh, public safety is a challenge in every community, not just in Surrey, in the Lower Mainland, certainly across the province, and I'd say even across the country, with what we're seeing in the uptake of violence. But um, you know, to sort of throw that out there as well, public safety, public safety, yeah, public safety um, is all encompassing. It doesn't start and end with the police doesn't matter what organization it is. Um, it involves the courts. It involves uh, the, the after prosecution. So all those pieces do make an important um, overall uh, decision for this. Uh, but I do think it's a very disingenuous for Mr. Farnworth. And what, what was kind of missing in his statement, um, which no one has really brought up yet, is that ultimately, legally, the city of Surrey uh, has a law on its side to decide to self-determine which path it goes to. And I think that's a big missing piece. And I think he didn't want to talk about that today. Do you think that the factors that uh, have come into play while this has been going on, though, as well, questions about the RCMP, the report on the Nova Scotia shooting and uh, shootings and and issues, uh, the things that went very, very wrong in that sense, that, that that's being used as one of the arguments as to why a local civic force would be better. Uh, have things changed at all in that that's the argument for a, a local-based force rather than a national-based force? Well, I think it's it's very disingenuous, again, for Minister Farnworth and his government to be using the tragedies that came out of other parts of the country. Uh, uh, as a basis for some rationale around this. You know, the government of Nova Scotia, including in Alberta recently, said we're staying with the RCMP. Um, so they can't all be wrong um, in making those decisions. Uh, I think uh, staffing uh, for any police agency is a challenge, it's not just the RCMP. Uh, that's throughout North America wide. The culture has changed around policing. The public's expectations around policing has changed as well. So, I mean, he can certainly use that as some of his rationale, but I find it very hollow. All right. Jack Hundile, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, Linda Annis is joining us now, a Surrey City Councillor. Councillor, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Jill, for having me. What is your reaction to the announcement that was made earlier today from Mike Farnworth? Well, I'm glad to see that, you know, they finally have come through with this report. It's been six months in the waiting, and uh, I think they've done a very good job of summarizing both the pros and cons of keeping the Surrey um, RCMP or the Surrey Police Service. And so kudos to the minister, you know, for getting this report to us. I only wish that uh, it had come to us about four and a half years ago. Uh, what would have been different, do you think, had this been made public or this information had been put out there for four and a half years ago? 
Well, we've been operating without proper information, uh, both um, in terms of what the transition would look like to the Surrey Police Service or to the going back to the RCMP. It's been a political decision, and we've been reacting strictly on emotion. And quite frankly, we need to get the facts uh, on the table, know what it was going to cost either way, and from here moving forward, start engaging with the public, which we've done a terrible job of. And when you say it's a political decision, do you mean at the the city council level or do you mean the political decision from this public safety minister? No, I mean at the city council level. You know, first of all, Doug McCallum wanted the Surrey Police Service and he just wanted to get it done and get it done as quickly as possible without proper due process. Then the election uh, happened and Mayor Locke got in and she was, you know, hell bent on having the RCMP come back again without public proper public consultation. Mayor Locke spoke earlier today and didn't didn't hold back, I don't think, when she talked about how disappointed she was, how that this was very disrespectful, that she only got a redacted copy of that report about 20 minutes before her news conference and also said that they will go ahead. It is her intention to go ahead and and bring back the RCMP, go the route of the RCMP. What is your reaction to that? Well, I think council and the mayor need to read the report, uh, digest it, and then have a meeting with Minister Farnworth and his staff uh, and ask our questions and ask questions if we think that there's missing information that has been redacted that would be critical in our decision-making process. Ask those questions. Let's let's operate on facts, not on emotion. And I also think that uh, this is such a huge decision. We need to be looking to the experts as well for, for advice and engaging with the residents of Surrey, which we have not done. And uh, I think that's very problematic. As, as you know, I've been calling for a referendum since back in 2018. And had we done that, I think this situation would have but it resolved itself. And I quite frankly would still like to see us do a referendum. I think it's very important. Um, you know, it's the largest decision that I think Surrey will ever make. And, you know, Minister Farnworth uh, commented that this is, you know, the largest decision that he's made since he's been in public office. So we need to do a better job of talking and uh, communicating with the residents of Surrey. Uh, do you think the results, though, could potentially be different if you were to have a referendum today about this, given what was announced earlier today and the, the millions of dollars that are attached to the option of staying with the Surrey Police Service? Do you think that would sway public opinion or would be enough that people would vote that way simply because they don't want their ta- taxes to skyrocket? Well, they certainly don't want their taxes to skyrocket, absolutely. And I think, but first and foremost, they want to know that, you know, what they're paying for and what does it look like. And uh, I quite frankly don't know if it would change. And I think that's why we need to be engaging with the people, something we have not done. And, you know, it is a huge undertaking. And I kudos to Minister Farnworth for, um, you know, making that option for us to help ease the tax burden on the residents of Surrey. I commend him for that. And he also, you know, is having to look at public safety throughout British Columbia and in Surrey. Do you think, though, I know there are people that would agree with you and say, yes, a referendum is a good idea. There are others that say the time for that has come and gone. We just need to make a decision on this file. And wasn't the civic election itself a form of a referendum? 
Well, the civic election certainly was not. Mayor Locke won by just a few hundred votes, uh, followed by um, Mayor, or former Mayor Doug McCallum uh, in second spot. One wants the Surrey Police Service, one wants the RCMP. Uh, to me, that was not a mandate. Um, when you look at the percentage um, that each of those uh, people got, uh, it was not a clear mandate. It needs to be a separate issue that residents get the actual facts and make a decision on facts, not emotion. What do you think of the timeline? And I know uh, many people have been trying to get some idea of a timeline from both the public safety minister, from uh, Mayor Locke about this, because, I I mean, it doesn't seem like there is going to be a referendum. So if we if we say in this scenario, there's not a referendum, now is the time when a decision needs to be made about this. What kind of a timeline would you like to see as far as residents, I think, also, uh, whether it's what they agree with or don't agree with, want to see a decision made? Well, we absolutely need to get on with making a decision. You know, this has dragged on far too long We, as a council, and I think I would say certainly with the residents as well, it's been a singular focus here in Surrey, and we've got more things to do. We need to be looking at how can we better serve our residents with better transit, schools, parks, and recs, and we just seem to keep coming back to the policing issue, and it's just been an ongoing discussion, and we don't seem to be getting anywhere. What do you think happens now then in this kind of continued state of limbo in that, and we are waiting for a statement from the Surrey Police Service and we are going to hear from the RCMP at 1.30 this afternoon. What does this do though as far as, so there's still no decision, does the Surrey Police Service go ahead business as usual? Do they continue hiring and going about what they've been doing? What happens now? That's a very good question and I I would have a better answer for you once I've complete completely read the uh, report that the minister has put forward. Uh, I'm certain that, you know, this is going to be top of mind, certainly for all of council. We know we need to get on with it and we need to get on with something quickly because we can't keep this data limbo about whether or not it's the RCMP or Surrey Police Service. And, and how much does the funding play into this, do you think? And I know that in the past, the council was told there, there's not going to be provincial money for this. That changed earlier today with this announcement. There are millions of dollars now attached to the decision to stay with the police service. There is no money attached to the decision to go and stick with the RCMP. How much does that promise of funding from the province weigh in on this? Well, it certainly does weigh in. It makes it easier as a tax burden for the residents of Surrey. But I think first and foremost, Minister Farmworth did that because he is trying to ensure that we move forward with the Surrey Police Service. As we know, there is a lot of vacancies with the RCMP throughout British Columbia. And I believe his concern is that public safety is at risk throughout British Columbia and here in Surrey. In fact, he did say that um, uh, if, if we were to go with With the RCMP, we just can't get enough uh, members out to British Columbia to serve the communities. Uh, Councillor Annis, we'll have to leave it there for today. But as always, appreciate your time. And we'll talk to you about this soon uh, again as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to do it, Jill. Thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. Well, earlier this week, we were talking to a Vancouver School Board trustee about the topic of school liaison officers back in schools. We know they will be returning in September, but probably looking a little bit different, a different type of uniform and a smaller 
gun as part of that uniform. And there was a conversation, there has been an ongoing debate on if that is an appropriate move or if officers in schools should be carrying guns at all. Well, Tom Stamatakis is joining us now, president of the Canadian Police Association. Tom, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Uh, just before we get to that, uh, I, I know uh, you've probably been following along, and it's a, a big day when we're looking at what's going to be happening in Surrey with the future of policing in that city. I'm curious your thoughts on the province coming out recommending that the city of Surrey continue with its transition to the Surrey Police Service. Uh, well, I wasn't surprised by the recommendation, given all of the factors that uh, the Solicitor General um, indicated that he took into account before getting to that recommendation. The challenge, of course, is I'm not sure, based on some of the recent comments, both from the mayor and others in Surrey, um, that this necessarily gets uh, to an outcome. And, and I think whatever side of this issue you've been on, most people were just looking forward to a decision so that whatever the decision was, you know, police in Surrey in particular, could just move on and have some certainty in their lives. And, and, and it sounds to me like this is going to continue to be, to, to be a very political issue for, for the foreseeable future. All right. Uh, thanks uh, for uh, weighing in on that. Uh, let's get back to uh, what we had originally invited you uh, to come on and talk about, and that is the issue of school liaison officers in Vancouver schools. Um, I'm curious your reaction to uh, what it's going to look like. We know that the uniforms will be a bit more casual and it will be a different gun being carried by officers. Uh, what is your reaction to, to hearing that that's what's kind of changed with the program? Well, I mean, uh, this has been a very polarizing discussion, not just in Vancouver, but across the country. Um, you know, I have a view that obviously some people disagree with. I think uh, school resource officers or liaison officers have had uh, very positive impacts in schools and on youth in, in Vancouver and in other communities across the country. I think this this latest announcement is just the Vancouver Police Department trying to be responsive to concerns. Uh, and and obviously it continues to be a, a, a divisive or polarizing issue, and, and that's really too bad because I think at the end of the day it's just about finding ways to build relationships with youth in our communities and, and also at the same time making sure that they're safe. Is the role of a school liaison officer the same as the role of any other officer in that? I think that's why there is this conversation and debate about whether or not they should carry guns. Is that is it an officer that is there to foster relationships, maybe uh, rebuild relationships if they've been broken for whatever reason? But is that role the same as any other beat officer or officer that's part of the force? Well, it, it's a different role. Uh, like exists throughout the police department, depending on what section you're working in and, and what kind of service is being provided to the community, whether it's a, to a particular group within the community or or it's informed by the kind of service you're providing. At the end of the day, school liaison officers are there to foster positive relationships, to, to create better awareness about the role of police in our society to build relationships, but at the end of the day, they they are still police officers. the The equipment they wear is set out in provincial standards. It's not; these are not arbitrary decisions that are made. They're thoughtful. There's research behind them. They are intended to 
to ensure both that the officers are safe, but also that the public are safe. And at the end of the day, these officers also need to be available in the event of another emergency in the city that has nothing to do with the school, but requires a large police response. And I think people need to also be aware that police officers are are there to to, to protect the safety of, of the kids in schools, but also the staff and other personnel. And there have been many incidences over my career where, you know, you're dealing, often you can be dealing with a domestic violence issue, for example, where somebody comes onto the school property intending to cause harm to a, an intimate partner. You could be dealing with people coming onto the school grounds that have nothing to do with, with the school that might have some other intent that could cause harm to somebody in the school. So it's not just about the school, it's about the surrounding area, it's about the broader community, it's about public safety and officer safety. Right, and and that kind of was was what I was curious about in that, are the officers that are school liaison officers, say if something happened in the school, uh, say there was a drug bust in the school or a student brought something into the school that was dangerous, it would be that officer that's tasked with responding to it. I, I just mean, it, it just seems like a different role. On the one hand, uh, you want to be friends with these kids. You want to foster these relationships and, and, and be trusted by the students. But then if you're also the person enforcing the laws, it just seems like a different a different role. Well, it is a different role, and it is about creating those relationships, but it's not much different than the kind of activities and role uh, police officers generally have in the community. You're trying to create relationships with um, you know, everyone in the community and people in the community also recognize that they can have a positive relationship with a police officer, but at the end of the day, the police officer is also there to enforce the law. And it's really no different in, in schools. It's just uh, um, uh, nuanced in the sense that you're dealing with youth. And I think the broader issue and what's been disappointing for me is if there are issues around having police officers in schools and there are certain kids... Uh, or individuals that are uncomfortable with that, we should be getting to why that is and how do we address that. What are the underlying issues that lead to that kind of a perception or difficulty with with the presence of police officers in schools? Because if you, if you don't get to those underlying issues and what's causing that perspective, then I'm not sure changing uniforms or, or how the interactions occur will necessarily change things more broadly um, and, and, and move everything into a better place. Right. And, and wouldn't that also even be an argument to not wear a different uniform? If it's the idea of fostering a relationship and trust, then don't we, you want youth and students to associate that with the officer in the school and with officers in general? So that would be my view is I wouldn't change the uniform. I would I would spend more time getting to, you know, what are the reasons why people are feeling uncomfortable or what are their concerns? How do we like create some dialogue, uh, including not just with youth, but with parents and educators and whoever else you need to dialogue with to find out what those underlying issues are and how do, how do you address those? And are they are these, uh, you know, the, the reasons that people are feeling uncomfortable, legitimate reasons that can be addressed or, or is it something else? Right. I mean, I would I would think that anybody right now following along the Miles Gray inquest would would maybe if you didn't have any other interactions with police, you might be uncomfortable or you might have a lot of questions. And I don't know, is that something that a school liaison officer could tackle? Yes, uh, a school liaison officer could, you know, if, if people had questions about um, the circumstances surrounding 
uh, Miles Gray and his death, uh, a school liaison officer could tackle those kinds of issues, could provide context, could could provide uh, information about why the police respond to different incidents the way they do. And look, it, you know, policing is <laughs> it's a very challenging um, uh, uh, profession. You're providing a response in all kinds of different circumstances. Many of those circumstances are about incidents that you have little or no information about. They're very dynamic. Uh, they happen quickly, and unfortunately, there's not always time to, um, um, you know, consult with people or, or marshal uh, more resources to try and resolve in a different way. It's never a good thing when the outcome uh, results in serious injury or, or the death of an individual in our community, and I think what's important is when these incidents happen, you have to look at them and try and learn from them. All right. So we'll leave it there for today. Tom Stamatakis, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. You're welcome. is the last Friday of April. Hard to believe it's already the last Friday of April, but that means we are talking books, and this is a very special Friday because tomorrow is Canadian Independent Bookstore Day, and there are a lot of different things planned. Joining us is Marianne Yazedjian, Special Projects Manager at Black Bond Books and Book Warehouse. Marianne, great to chat with you again. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much. Well, this is a big day and uh, so many exciting things happening. Can you tell us a little bit uh, the history and, and why this is such an important day for independent bookstores? Yes, it, it really is a great day. So it's the last Saturday of April, uh, has been over the last few years. This started out a few years ago by local author Janie Chang, who really loves independent bookstores and wanted to support us as much as possible. And so she started a, a day called Authors for Indies Day, in which authors would come into their independent bookstores and sort of act as booksellers for the day. She ran it almost single-handedly with volunteers for a few years, and it was a huge success and really wonderful. Uh, but when we had a, a national organization, the Canadian Independent Booksellers Organization, that came into place a couple, uh, maybe two or three years ago now, they took it over from her and turned it into Canadian Independent Bookstore Day. So the focus moved back onto the bookstore. Um, and it's just been such a wonderful day that we celebrate every year with our customers and publishers, authors, everybody comes by and it's just, it's a real celebration for independent bookstores. And I understand this year as well, it's a pretty significant milestone for Black Bond Books. It is. 2023 is the 60th anniversary of book selling for Black Bond Books. Wow, that's, uh, that is amazing just to, to be able to, to be doing that for that amount of time and uh, the, the things that have changed over those 60 years. Yes, I, I keep saying that somebody should actually write a book about the history of independent book selling across Western Canada because so many people know each other and we've all worked in different independent bookstores and it's like it's like a, a big group of people who really support each other and try to help each other and I'd love to read a history of it. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so for people, if they want to come out and take part in this, it's more than, than just buying books and supporting bookstores. There's going to be a lot of events happening at the various stores. Yes. I mean, not just our stores, but visit any independent bookstore across Canada, Lower Mainland, Vancouver. So what we'll be doing in our stores is that each of our stores is doing just tons of fun things. Uh, we'll be spinning a wheel or a customer gets to draw to get a discount or a prize. 
There are a whole bunch of uh, prize packs of bookish goods that you just put your name and number or name and email in, and you're entered to win that. Every single purchase gets you a blind date with the book. And if you don't know what that is, it's super fun. We wrap up some books in brown paper so you can't see what they are. And we write a few notes on the outside that give you uh, hints of what the book could be. So you get to pick one of those. You're getting a total surprise. You might find your next favorite author. You never know. Uh, as well, every purchase gets you an entry into the Canadian Independent Booksellers Association's Contest for Book Lovers online. What a, what a great way to celebrate and so many fun things. So that's going to be happening tomorrow for anybody who wants to go to the bookstores and take part in that. Let's get people reading, though, as well, because you've got some mm-hmm. great recommendations today. So a couple of our recommendations are actually authors who are going to be at a couple of our stores. So I really wanted to talk about them. Our Maple Ridge store is going to be hosting Tiffany Stone and Ashley Spires for a signing and activities with their new kids picture book, which is called Super Small Miniature Marvels of the Natural World. And I was looking through this this morning and it's just one of the cutest kids picture books I've ever seen. It's adorable. It shows all of the smallest creatures in a fun way. So there's pygmy seahorses, Etruscan shrews, scaly-footed snails, and it's got little facts, little poems. It's very creative, and it's just adorable. So at our Maple Ridge store from 12 until 2 tomorrow, you can take your kids and uh, do some activities and have a look at this book. All right. Uh, yeah, I w- I'm looking at it uh, on uh, the website. And who doesn't love miniature things anyway? It's, uh, it looks great. Mm-hmm. So that one is uh, a kid's book. We've got a couple of other ones, uh, too. Uh, this one's a mystery, To Track a Traitor. Yes, so this is Iona Wishaw's new book. It is the 10th book in her Lane Winslow mystery series. This one takes place partly in the interior of BC, which all of her books do, but this one also takes place partly in Scotland. If you're a fan of Louise Penny, you would absolutely love Iona Wishaw's mysteries. And she is going to be at our Semiamu store in Semiamu Mall for a signing and meet and greet from 12 until 2 tomorrow as well. All right. And uh, let's talk about uh, exploring Vancouver naturehoods. Yes. So this one is just beautiful. The author is Vicki Earle, and this is an artist's sketchbook journal. So the author, Vicki, she has a degree in medical illustration and education technology, but she's always had a deep love for nature. So this book is a collection of her illustrations and details of the parks, animals, plants, trees, insects, flowers, pretty much everything in nature around Vancouver. And it reveals the extraordinary biodiversity of our city. So what you can actually do with this book, other than just flipping through the beautiful illustrations, is that you can take it with you as a guide on your walks around the city and flip through and see the different things that she's showing you. And you'll have an entirely new perspective on the things you're seeing in nature. How interesting, too, that it's kind of like someone's given you their sketchbook or their own personal journal of of sketches. And you have full range of looking through it. And like you said, kind of wandering and seeing places maybe from a different perspective. Exactly. And I I can't stress how beautiful the illustrations are in this. You you need to actually come into one of our stores and flip through this book because it's just, it's exquisite. Very, uh, very interesting. All right. Well, from the nature hoods and trees and animals uh, to uh, underwater, this one is about uh, another book about snorkeling adventures. Yes, yeah, so this one just looks really fun. It's Snorkeling Adventures Around Vancouver Island and the Gulf Islands by Sarah Ellison. 
The author is actually an astrophysicist with a love of snorkeling, and she, which she calls an affordable alternative to scuba diving, which makes sense to me. Um, there's so much rich and diverse marine life around Vancouver Island, even in just the top few meters of the ocean. So there's just so much to explore. And she says that this book is great for beginners or even seasoned snorkelers who have been doing this for a long time. There's also, uh, you know, information about like getting your entire family into snorkeling and different places all around Vancouver Island and the Gulf Islands. And I, I love it too in that we, I don't think we think about it as much or you think about snorkeling more in very tropical places with the crystal clear water and even mm-hmm. with the visibility around uh, Vancouver Island, the Gulf Islands, maybe not as good, but still the photos are just amazing and some of the things that you can see. It's really remarkable. Just I've been flipping through it all day and just looking at these little creatures that I actually just can't believe are in this area. Yeah, so that's uh, another great one as well. Uh, Marianne, just to remind people again, uh, can they find out on the website or the different stores, your stores that are having events and places, uh, things that people can do tomorrow? Yes, absolutely. You can go onto our website and click on the events tab and it'll show you what's going on at each of our stores. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to welcoming all of our customers in tomorrow. All day, all of our stores will be doing so much fun, so many fun things. All right, sounds great. We will leave it there for today, but Marianne, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Jill.